Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I'm so excited that you've tuned in. Our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their purpose. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing experts at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Young business leaders, welcome to the YBT Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I want to welcome you to podcast number 110. I'm really excited today uh, to bring today's guest uh, to you. We've been kind of going over a lot of different uh, topics in terms of more of like self-leadership, self-awareness, those kinds of things. And I'm excited today to kind of dive a little bit back into uh, more of the business aspect of things and talk to somebody who I've gotten to know a little bit through some different organizations. And I'm really excited that he uh, is taking the time to be a part of this podcast. His name is Mike Bausch. Mike is the owner of Tulsa-based Andalini's Pizza and STG Gelateria, and also a world pizza champion. By specializing in high-end ingredients, specialty beers, and welcoming atmosphere while still catering to families on a budget, Mike and Andalini's has taken on the Midwest in an aggressive manner. Andalini's aim to show what pizza can taste like when it's made from scratch. Andalini's has won many awards like the Tulsa Restaurant of the year, Urban Spoon's number one Tulsa pizza, Tulsa World Best Pizza, Tulsa Pizza, Tulsa People Best Pizza, Oklahoma Magazine's Best Pizza, Tulsa Voice Best Pizza, Journal Record, Fast 40 Business, and Top 10 Restaurant by TripAdvisor. Mike, hello. Welcome to the uh, the podcast. If you can, uh, fill in some of those gaps and say hello to the audience. Hello, peoples. Uh, yeah, uh, we are Andalini's Pizzeria out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. We look to do things start with the best version of whatever we could dream up to do and then just do that and you know price it accordingly i've I've come up the only thing i've ever not made that are not sold that i loved was like a foie gras pizza that i by the time i figured out the math i would need to charge around 89 dollars a pizza to the customer and i said okay well <laughs> I, I probably can't handle that but uh yeah it's about doing the best version of whatever we can and we're very proud and humbled that TripAdvisor named us one of the top 10 best pizzerias in America. Wow. Uh, and that kind of what made that award so cool was that wasn't someone's opinion. It was just purely based on the algorithm of TripAdvisor of, of five-star reviews. So out of all the pizzerias in America, we have the highest algorithm, or at least in the top 10. And it was... And then, if I, and then when I looked at the list, what humbled us even more is that it was Tulsa, which yeah. the reason that's a big deal is every single other thing on that list was either like right off a cruise ship or in a very touristy town. So that helps the algorithm because it's thousands of new unique visitors coming by every day. Tulsa doesn't have that. And the people that are coming through Tulsa are trying us, going to the BOK, going to Burn Co., going to Lone Wolf, having these amazing unique experiences and going back and saying hey i i just went to this town this town called tulsa and it was great and we're like tacoma no no (laughs) tulsa tucson no no i was in tulsa oklahoma and it was awesome and that's that's really uh my goal i work from that that mo and then i say okay well how do i make money doing that it's not okay how do i make money selling the crap you know the cheapest pizza i could figure out so I've had the highest profit margin. I think that's very cart before the horse, but that's very typical of most food businesses. At least that was the definite thought, you know, 15 years ago. And people are switching it to an experience-driven restaurant uh, startup. So let's get an experience first that people want to take part in and then price it accordingly as opposed to trying to do what I call turn and burn, which is very hard at the pizza market right now because turn and burn super cheap is there's a fight I couldn't win even in my best try because I just don't have that buying power to beat up a Papa John's or a Pizza Hut so it's really how do I make the best pizza possible and price it accordingly what before we even move forward though 
one thing I always get dinged on is that I'm expensive for pizza and I am the cheapest pizza per square inch in all of Oklahoma because a 20 inch pizza is about double a 14 inch pizza and it's not equivalent to two 10 inch pizzas, but, but it's equivalent to four via pi R squared. It's a lot of math for a Friday morning, <laughs> but it, we, it, we're like the Sam's club of pizza. If you went and saw, Hey, paper towels are $35. You'd be like, that's a lot. But then if you saw it was the super pack at Sam's, you're like, Oh, well that's a value. I need to get like one of those price tags and then under it instead of <laughs> calories saying price per square inch. And if that happened, just like when you're at the supermarket and it says, you know, can of peas, but how much is it per ounce? Yeah. That would make my life much easier. <laughs> well, I like how you brought that up because I think a lot of times, uh, sometimes you'll get criticism, right? You're going to have people that are going to be coming back at you and you're like, man, I know I'm doing something good here. I got good pizza that tastes awesome. I give you a good quality experience and you're complaining about the price. And I think sometimes it's just our perspective in, in how we're looking at things because now when somebody comes back at you with, well, you know, we love Andalini's, but it's really expensive. Uh, you have a, a ready fire response that says, actually, I'm glad you brought that up. And that creates more value for your customer and, and hopefully a, a more talking points for them as they're spreading the word about you. That's very true. And it is a hard thing. Cause that only that, that, predicates upon them saying something to me, which is more likely not not going to happen. It's them saying yeah. it when they get in the car and talking about it. So I have to be advantageous about explaining that. But most customers in all segments of commerce fall into two categories, either experience-driven or value-driven. And I try and appeal to both, but it's very hard to do. And, you know, there's just like, I need a coat. Okay. Experience driven, I'm going to a really high end mall or, or, you know, some expensive website. Value driven is I'm going to a, a supermarket and just getting something because I need to be warm. Mm -hmm. That falls in, again, every category. And then there's, but the people that are selling the expensive stuff, if they're doing it right, will, or having a higher perceived quality mark, will do okay. Uh, and price perception is, something that I think young entrepreneurs need to be aware of that a lot of people, this is one thing I've noticed in the last two years that I I've shared with uh, anyone that would listen is <laughs> normal thought is to go into the middle. Mm -hmm. It's like, I need to go to something that's mid range or I need to be because I don't want to be the cheapest and I want to be the most expensive. And I say do both. Like when we sell beers, we tried to reduce the price of all of our more expensive beers that were like $9 beers to $7 and we lost our ass. Mm -hmm. Instead, we go for, let's take a few beers that we can make $3 and then a few other beers that we should make money on that are experience driven that, and make those like 13 because and then we sold more of each. Mm. Very interesting sales dynamic that I've noticed over the last few years. Yeah. Well, yeah. They, I mean, all this stuff is great because they, I think these are some of the things that we need to to, to hear because we kind of come into it with our own logic. Like we, we have experience of, of different places we've been, but in some cases you're creating a unique experience for people. So there's really no rule book on that. So it's nice to kind of have uh, some, some guidelines for that. And, and I love how you were talking about like experience versus value. Um, uh, as you were kind of talking about, I was thinking about the, the thing when I was in sales was that people love to buy, but they hate to be sold. And so if you can really focus on that actual experience, they're going to pay for that pizza. They're, they're, they're going to pay for that product. They're hungry, but it's really about how you make them feel. And if you can control that part of it and not make it feel like, you know, you're upselling them and you're persuading them to somebody, not in the negative persuasion, um, but you're really kind of driving them through and walking them through this experience. That's when they're going to walk away and say, man, not only was the food good, but I enjoyed my stay there. I, I, I want to go back there. I like how it made me feel. I like the smells. I like the, what I'm seeing visually. I like, you know, what I'm touching and feeling all those different things. I think sometimes when you get on the value side, you cut all that stuff out and it just becomes, um, a, a uh, what is it called? It becomes a commodity. And what you're doing is you're taking it the other direction saying, let's focus on the quality of not just the food and the product, but also the experience and everything else. Very much so. 
I do with you because um, I've actually I heard you speak uh, to the EE group and and we got to throw some dough and you were going in and out of just the, the difference between the dough that you use and the yeast that you use and I think you're actually a, a competitive dough thrower I, I don't even know what that's that's called I'm sure you can you can give me that term but just first of all thank you for bringing that to Tulsa because you know from all the different food options we kind of had before uh, Andalinas came into town, it was just a pizza and a pizza. And I think that through your history and background, you knew that there was definitely something way better out there uh, to the extent that you drove down. Uh, I, didn't, I think you even moved to Italy for a while just to study and learn the importance of a good quality dough. Can you talk about the role of quality in your business and the extent that you went to, to raise the quality in the food that you have? Sure. I mean, when I, I started Andalini's at 22 work, I had worked a few restaurants in college. I should not have opened a restaurant, let alone done well. Uh, I have a poli sci degree from St. Mary's college of California. And my brother got transferred to Tulsa because uh, he was vice president of Alamoretta car. He's about 15 years older than me. Mm -hmm. So he's about the age I am now. And he's vice president of Alamoretta car. They move uh, with Kathy Taylor and Bill Lobeck, yeah. who former mayor of Tulsa. Uh, they moved to Tulsa from Fort Lauderdale. And Jim, my brother says, Hey, do you want to do a restaurant or a family thing instead? And I went to my first day of law school because that's what I did after college. First day of law school, I said, this, this ain't for me. <laughs> I didn't want to be more in debt to do a profession. I probably could have done well at, but it just felt like I was in a sea of just nothingness. So I wanted to carve out my own thing. I dedicated myself to learning everything I could to pizza. And the interesting thing about the pizza world and applies to a lot of business is a lot of people just assume they know it all already. Mm. And the confidence, confidence is good but ego is horrible and a lot of people have an ego in the pizza industry to just say i know it all why don't don't tell me anything or so i, I thought that was as foolish as being a mechanic and saying, yeah yeah i know how that car works i know how that yeah. engine works and then just hitting the top of it when something goes wrong so i wanted to learn everything i could about pizza and i saw that there was a basically a college level course on pizza taught by italian instructors and I got into that course and took it and, I, and just learned everything I could about fermentation and integration of product because I wanted to not be the best pizza in Owasso, which is where we started, not Cherry Street, contrary to a lot of popular uh, thought. <laughs> we started in Owasso in a strip mall that's still mm -hmm. there. Yeah. And I wanted to take this to the level that it could open in San Francisco or New York and that we could hang or even thrive. That's what, because at that point, the way I viewed it is I don't want to do anything half-assed, A, mm -hmm. and B, job security and having high quality was where I looked at second. If I'm not the best at that I can be, then what am I doing? Also, when it comes to pizza, this was just something I didn't even realize at the time that I was doing innately i knew no one wants to go to the second best pizzeria <laughs> that but they'll go so again experience and value i'll go to yeah. the closest pizza and not which is convenience driven and value driven mm -hmm. uh interestingly enough the most the most up-and-coming pizza in the oklahoma especially tulsa area people will say is it this guy or that guy or this pizzeria and you'd be surprised to know it's Quick Trip. And why is that? Because Quick Trip's making a pizza yeah. right there while you're getting gas. So I'm not going to beat that on convenience. So I certainly need to win on, on quality. And, and Quick Trip's not going to say that they're better than my pizza. And that's fine. They're not. And also what I like about Quick Trip's pizza is it doesn't say the artisan quattro fromage. Uh, blah, blah, blah. It's just, yeah, this is pizza. <laughs> but as far as gas station pizza goes, this is pretty good. Yeah. And that's that's why they're killing it. My whole, I have to know what I do, why I do it. And also it really annoys me when I don't know everything about something. Even as like a little kid, when I, I'm like eight years old and I'd watch Jeopardy and my parents would answer the questions. I would get angry. Like, why the hell do I, I need to know what that is. I want to know <laughs> the answers. If someone did a joke on Saturday Night Live by the time I'm 12 and I understand the reference, that pissed me off. Yeah. So now that I'm an adult, if, so, if something went, if my dough was blowing out or 
or had a, a, a unique smell that day or, or worked one day, but it was different the next. I was like, I want to know why everything that's happening with this. So I did this course in pizza. I was around a bunch of guys that had been doing pizza for 20 years. I was the youngest guy in the room at the time. I was 25 and I it's steel sharpened steel. So all these guys were just telling me, oh no, you do this and this and this to, to market to kids. And this is how I get on TV. And this is how I market this way and that. And I just learned at that moment, I need to be around the best guys in this space if mm-hmm. I want to be the best guy in this space. And those guys I'm still friends with. A lot of them still own their pizzerias or have moved on to something else, but as natural business does go over time. And then they invited me to go compete internationally because I was just a kid out of Owasso who was making fresh mozzarella from fresh curd, which was mm. pretty unheard of in 2008 seven some p- other pizzerias do it now most people buy it uh ovalini and brine and i was making it and just because i i tried it once and it it was awesome this was like pre-youtube i found out how to do it yeah and uh and that was a big deal and that said okay well hey come to italy with us and in italy i scored really well so then it got that became a story that helped us get more sway in Owasso. And at that point, when we were trying to get a bank loan for our second store, uh, which our second store, it looks like a $2 billion build out on Cherry Street, which we did for a little under 500,000 from a bank because we built it ourselves. Yeah. And that's how much the bank would would give us um, after they saw my story, not an Owasso bank, mind you, a security bank in Tulsa gave us that and took a chance on us. And they've made a lot of money <laughs> our loan Good. And other loans since then. And that goes to the side of business that, you know, you need to vet things out, but there is calculated risk and you need to be willing to put your ass out on the line, but also not be a dummy. So we did that. We got our second store. We basically built it out. And after being in Owasso for six years, which is probably the hardest, one of the hardest food markets in America. And that sounds a little bit exaggerated, but I would say it's not because you have a demo that is extremely blue collar coming from the cuts of the country, Sperry and Claremore, mm-hmm. that Owasso is their quote unquote city. Meanwhile, you have a very high demo of income that wants a high end product. It doesn't want to go to Tulsa at night, but the people coming in during the day. So you need to really be all things to all people. And 40 restaurants opened between 2006 to 2009, of which around 37 closed. Wow. So I had to be on my game in all aspects if I wanted to survive that. And it was very hard. And we came close to, you know, like, what are we going to do? We have no money many times. Uh, so to a new entrepreneur, if you don't want to be a entrepreneur, you really have to have about double the money that you think you're going to need. Put your ass on the line. Put your house on the line. And then work your ass off and and know that no one's coming to save you. The only way you can save yourself is through knowledge, hard work, and through interpersonal dealings, i.e. being cool to other people so they want to be cool to you. There was a lot there. So thank you for sharing all that. you know, especially when we're talking about it, I kind of want to go back to you making your own mozzarella because I think that's something that – Whenever you're kind of doing something like this, like we're, we're kind of tapping a little bit into passion. I, and I, I hope the listeners can kind of pick this up that you're, you're really passionate about what you do so much so that uh, you were willing to kind of continue to put yourself out there. And I think one of the things that I, I kind of think about, especially since I have kids now, is 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 teaching them that it's okay to fail. It's okay to put yourself out there. And whatever the result is, is great. I mean, going to Italy to compete in a mozzarella competition, uh, you probably went in there just going, hey, if we, if we have a great experience, great. But then to actually place and, and do well. And now you have this, this, uh, this craft that you've learned that makes your stuff unique. Uh, again, that kind of all ties into your story. And I think that the outside customer appreciates that more because now they're looking at i'm not just going to get this product i'm not just going to get this pizza i'm tapping into something that somebody's so passionate about that they've put their livelihood on it and and they go beyond that to try to make it even better they're not concerned about being the best pizza place or the best product in town they're they're concerned about being the best in the world. And I think that when we approach business and we approach the things that we're doing with that mentality, I think it completely changes your perspective 
on every single process that you're doing, every single interaction that you have. Uh, and I think it helps you just automatically raise that that inner game that you have. In addition to, like you talked about, surrounding yourself with those right kinds of people, the people that are experts in the industry. And even though you're a young 25-year-old guy being the youngest one uh, you know, trying to learn this craft, that older generation of, uh, of, of people look at you and, and remember when they were your age and what they want to know. And that's kind of, that's the whole purpose of this podcast is, is to take some of the information, take some of the knowledge that we've learned on our journeys of leadership and entrepreneurship and pass that down and say, Hey, it's okay. You don't have to have all the answers. You talked a little bit about that, just not being teachable, not, not or, or thinking that, you know, everything about pizza because you've eaten about you know, 50, 60 different kinds, that doesn't mean anything. Uh, if you go into it with some humility and say, I don't know everything about pizza, I don't know everything about the thing that I'm trying to do, what what can I learn from you? I'll say you'll learn a lot, but then your teachers will also be that much more willing uh, to teach you because they're, they're, they're looking at that, that, um, that willingness to learn and they want to download as much information into you as possible because, because they've sweated and 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 fought for everything that they know and they know that if they can pass that on to you and you can build on top of that you have that opportunity to stand on the shoulders of those giants totally agree when we think about the industry that you're in all, all of the different things that you're talking about are things that you're passionate about and now you're you're with multiple locations uh you're you have different kinds of uh restaurants that you manage uh, one of the things that I always uh, am curious about is how do you transfer that to your team, whether you be your leadership team, but then also to the multiple locations? Because it's one thing to have, you know, everybody in one room and, and you're kind of the the, the patriarch that's that's kind of casting the vision in and everything else. But as the further you get away from it, the feel like it, it seems like the more diluted it gets. So what are some of the things that you incorporate in your business to make sure that that quality stays uh, at the very top? in service, in food uh, product, in, 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 in wait times. How do you communicate all that and manage all of that? Well, the first and foremost thing about leadership and management, leadership is, I mean, any leader is also a manager. Not all managers are leaders. Yeah. And when you lead, you have to lead by example, which isn't any new concept, but that means that you're more passionate or more knowledgeable or at least more dedicated. Because if I'm at, let's say, a level nine, I can't expect anyone else to be at my level or above in passion. It's just a foolish thought. Mm -hmm. A lot of people will assume, well, you know, why don't they care? I'm like, well, because they, you care. If you're at a six, you're not going to get someone at a seven or an eight where working and wanting to bust ass harder than yeah. you or anything. It's just not going to happen. So apathy and passion are both deeply contagious concepts. So if you're apathetic or whatever, you know, just, just, okay, it's cool. And or if you let standards slide, a very typical thing in small business, which is people start to be loyal to the people rather than the standard. And it seems like you're doing the right thing when you're actually not. When you say, well, you know, it's cool. It's you that will let everything slide. Mm -hmm. So being loyal to the standard. No, that's sorry. That's not the standard. So we got to do it again and being kind about it, but also being very factual. Mm -hmm. Now, as time moves on and I've created a, a team and a network, there's the things that I call I did a, I was a day camp counselor for a long time, all between high school summers and, and even a little in college. And I learned when it came to my, the kids I was in control of, I would build a fence of what they were allowed to do. Like, Hey, literally sometimes a fence go, you can go that far <laughs> till the end of the, the playground. You can't go past this. You can do whatever you want in there as long as you don't touch another kid. Something to that effect, right? Mm -hmm. Something stupid and simple. Well, the same thing applies to business now with my managers. Like, okay, you have to have your X, Y, and Z done by 10 a.m. No matter what, that is a fact. But you, you can do this however you want to do it. So there's the things that are for them to control and the things that are protocol. The protocols that can be manipulated and the protocols that they get to have their own creativity so they don't feel like they're mindless automatons <laughs> under you know the gulag of Andalini's. So... That's a, a big part of leadership. Lead, lead with respect and setting people up for success. Uh, a failure point in leadership is to lead people as you would be, as you prefer to be led, which sounds counterintuitive. But if you're like, I don't need anyone to tell me what to do. Just give me the place to be and I'll be there. 
maybe one out of 10 of your staff might be exactly like that. But a lot of other people need more direction or more follow through. And you fill in the, okay, this guy is a guy who needs a lot of direction, but then once he has every direction and he's touched it, he can do it a million times. And this other person needs, you know, praise of when, when it goes correct and can't handle negatives. And this other person needs that. And then you, you make your management and leadership style malleable to those personalities. That's a big key to leading a network of people. Again, having the things that are not negotiable, having the things that are, that let them have their own creativity. Case in point, I just said, hey, all your stores need to be decorated for Christmas. It needs to be decorated by uh, the day after Christmas. How You have 300 bucks, however the hell you want to do it, go. <laughs> That's it. And then, you know, one store did it really kooky. And one store did it really classic. And I'm like, okay, that's the vibe of their store. They could take pride in it. If I said, you will buy these lights that are yellow and you will buy this many and you will put them up in this way in fashion, it would have got done and it, they would have been miserable doing it. Mm-hmm. So there's, there is the, the ebb and flow of how you pull just even the most mundane minutia thing off. And which has nothing the hell to do with pizza, which a lot of it is, I need to make the best product possible. How to, and then document exactly how to do it the same way every time double check it every single day have uh, points that check it every single day and at that point now i need to worry about about a million other things too yeah well you're talking about um like giving them some sense of ownership in it and i think that when you kind of tap into that like all right you know here here's the the non-negotiables these are the things that we have to do but i'm going to allow you i'm going to trust you i've put you in this position to lead this store, the, to lead this this group, uh, and, and I want you to do that kind of how you would do that it, again with these guidelines. And I think having that flexibility and having that trust in them uh, to a younger version of myself, I don't, I couldn't have done it. I I, I don't know that I was at a, a mental maturity to 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 say, you know, I, I think that this guy and this guy and this guy can do it, you know, these ways. But kind of as I've grown and what I've realized is. I become the bottleneck then if I can't, if I didn't hire the right people and put them in the right place and, and I don't have that trust for, for them, then they're probably the right, not the right people for that role. But on the other side of it, when they have the ability to do that, they appreciate their job more. They're more passionate about it. They're willing to put more time and effort into it to the extent of even with the Christmas decorations, I would venture to say that they probably went above and beyond even clocking in and clocking out for decorated, got excited about it. And it was something fun for them to do, which makes them love their job even more. I agree. Thank you for sharing that because I think that that's one of those things that just as, as you're kind of going through uh, the leadership journey and you're, and you're trying to uh, manage more and more people, it's a lot easier when it's just you and and maybe one other person or two other people. But as it continues to grow, uh, these are things that we start, needing to think about and hopefully you can start practicing it with that smaller group to the point now where when you get multiple locations you can really start to uh, expand uh that that part out uh one thing i did want to uh kind of ask you about was uh part of your growth so we've talked about having these multiple locations and, and seeing them grow but um I don't know that when you first started that store in Owasso, you had the vision for what it is today with all the different locations and, and everything else. But I think at some point it clicked. At, at some point you were sitting there going, you know what? I think we can do more of these. I think this can grow. And I think part of that has to do with the level of attention that you put into the quality and the service and, and everything else. And so my question would be, what does that journey look like when you know that you're putting in high quality service, high quality products, and you start to see that word of mouth uh, conversation come where you start to see the customers grow and grow? Is it literally like uh, like uh, the, the old bell curve, the, the, the beginning of the bell curve where it's just it's, it's a little bit, little bit, and then all of a sudden you see this big ramp up or was it a small steady growth for you? Um, well, I mean, the it's a weird, our growth story is very odd in the sense that you know, we were talking when we were opening the first one. Yeah, yeah, we'll have this one. Then we'll open another one, like six months, another one in a year. And I see a lot of restaurants that think that. They're like, okay, well, we're going to buy this. Uh, they don't start their own restaurant. They buy a, a, a franchisee, and they think that they're going to come into town with the one, and it's going to be beloved, and they're going to open four by the next year. And maybe they have so much money behind it that they open two out the gate and it's not doing the numbers they thought it would be. And then they end up closing both that happens. I think I've seen that happen around 15 times to even just out of town 
pizza concepts, not national things, but something that they got a franchising purchase agreement. Uh, our that's what we thought too at the at the start, and then within a, a month, I was like, oh god, this is a behemoth. And <laughs> what it really is more akin to is a comedian finding their voice. It would be like a comedian doing an open mic night and say, okay, I'll be selling out Madison Square Garden by September. That's It's just not feasible. It's not reality. It's it's not even the right move because you're just not ready for it. Mm-hmm. You've got to find your voice as a restaurant, especially for a new business or any business. You find your your voice. And as you seek that voice, you, you know, our first thing was like, we're going to be the end all be all of raviolis and pasta. And, and we had our name as Andalini's Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant because we we knew no one would know what Andalini's is. Yeah. There's so many things that you develop into. And then as we grew, we were like this kooky, you know, mom and pop beer and pizza place. And our logo was, you know, more family driven. And then when I opened at Cherry Street, we built the place to look so nice that we were like, oh crap, this is a nice restaurant. And I saw a, a couple come in all dressed up now getting to store two was insane once we're at store two it was pretty like it was extremely hard but at the same time it was just an onslaught of business because we were so ready for it and we had honed it and we also took so long to get to store two we were ready by like year three we didn't get a a loan till year six so Mm -hmm. it was three years of just okay well you or we and then we were building it for a whole year we really had time to think on it and get our game in check. And at that point, it just it blew up and became per seat one of the most uh, valuable per seat pizzerias in America, also in the top ten in the amount of money it was doing. Wow. So then at that point, we Cherry Street wasn't that you know hot in in two thousand and ten, and at that point, we revitalized Cherry Street and the property value went up along with us and Smoke and Chipotle, and then. Uh, Kilkenny's was like the only thing on the street really before us. And as that developed, then we were, you know, well, where are we going to go next? And we didn't know. And people were saying, Oh, you got to go to Oklahoma city. That's the next move. And, but then broken arrow said, Hey, we're doing this main street thing. Can you help revitalize this? Uh, And I said, okay. And they got with us to a bunch of money, you know, and discounts and whatever. And it's a lot easier in business to go somewhere that, that wants you around. That helped a lot mm-hmm. because everything before that, we would go somewhere and they would be very standoffish or, well, you know, how much are you going to give us? And we're like, you know, so with Broken Arrow coming to us, it made it easier. And then the next place that came to us was essentially uh, Jenks. They came to us and said, we want you to revitalize the Riverwalk. So that's made our growth strategy be what it is. Now, in the middle of that, we did a food truck because of all the opportunities we saw for events that demand it, but places that can't survive a truck. So case in point, downtown Brady District really didn't have any restaurants. It couldn't survive a restaurant, at least at the time, but all the bars there, namely Sound Pony, needed food at night. So the truck was great there. And then we could go to events like Rock, Oklahoma and make money. So we did that in 2012. We opened up Broken Arrow by 2013 or 2015. In the middle of that, we had also opened STG, which is now Andalini Sliced downtown, which was successful. But we did a pivot when we were able to double it in 2017 to call it Andalini Sliced, keep our STG Napolitana oven, our Naples style pizza, and created this other brand, STG. After all the stuff I've done in Italy, it's exactly what you would get in Italy as opposed to Andalini's, which is a spin on Italian classics. So we then developed our brand, really honed in at that point. And then as far as duplicating it goes, we've just been presented with opportunities that were almost like begrudgingly like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. <laughs> because, you know, there's there's something to be said about growth, but we get propositioned with ideas every day now. And it's just when it's too good to pass up, but we get so many of them on our, you know, 2009, we were getting, Hey, you guys should go over here. There's population density up the wazoo and it's super, uh, a really rich area, but it wouldn't. And it's knowing your business well and knowing your area. Well, if you are from Tulsa area, it's just North of the Creek turnpike in Jenks on the, uh, eat, on the east side of the river uh-huh. so uh, basically across the street from a come and go in a strip mall that's 
geared towards the dry cleaners. Yeah. That would now the population density insane population media income insane, but it wouldn't work. And only knowing your space and knowing your area, can you really find your voice? We know now we do well in walkable areas where there's a lot of things going on. We thought originally that we needed an anchor, like a Walmart across the street in Owasso. We don't need a Walmart. We need the anchor being it's a district that people want to visit that has a scene that we can help develop. And if we have a few other things that are developing that scene, then great. We actively sought when we opened the Riverwalk to get Burnco to go there. Not, And most people would say, why would you want competition? It's not competition. We want to have other big names so it's a scene yeah. so that you have an event worth going to all the time. And that's how we view business. That's awesome. I, I I guess when when I think about like when companies want to grow, sometimes they're they're just looking at the the basic demographics, like you're talking about the median income. They're looking at you know the population density. They're looking at kind of some of the other stuff there. But that's like a forced growth, whereas yours was was more like instead of a a push, it's a pull, and they were coming to you. And I, I think it's a huge compliment to your product the fact that they were looking at you as almost like the anchor. Uh, for re- revitalization. And I think that that's a, that's a huge testament to the quality and some of the things that you guys do, because I remember when they did the the renovation to Broken Arrow and when they said Andolini's was coming, that, that completely, I think, changed the mindset of Main Street um, and the Riverwalk District. That area was kind of on the decline a little bit. And by having some good uh, anchor restaurants like you guys coming in there and burn co and some of the other ones uh i think that's where people like i know that good food's gonna be there because of this the foundation that you laid in owasso and cherry street it then basically gave legitimacy to those other areas and to now where your growth is a a lot of times dictated by people coming to you with offers i think that's a fantastic uh, place in your business to be and i hope that uh you know people listening to this can say what can we do with our products what can we do with the service that we have that it becomes so compelling that we don't necessarily even have to sell it to other people to grow we have people wanting more wanting us to come to their areas and be in their areas because they know that it's so good that it's going to actually make a difference not just in food quality, but actually create in a, a, a district, like you said, create a, a, a spectacle for people to be a part of and go to. That's, I think, one of those things that we don't necessarily think about when we think about growth. I think we, we think more along the other lines. Well, then, I mean, that that leads into really how do I, I view all business as it falls into three things that need to be on point. And they are, for me, food, but that you could just say product. Mm-hmm service and ambiance now ambiance in a restaurant is okay what's the ambiance is it is it nice okay even a dive bar that's ambiance that's you're selling that it's a dive bar but even if i'm up on an online website does my website look clean is mm-hmm. it easily integratable to it even to today's day and age does it have apple pay on it if i want to <laughs> check out quickly that's the ambiance of that then the product what is the product okay is it something that i feel something good does does the the left side of my brain the buying side of my brain have a trigger of happiness when i when i purchase it and then the service is you know we're going to take care of you we're not we'll answer the phone we'll we're gonna be there and you have a, a net that makes you feel comfortable and secure even even the hotels a good hotel You'll see, you'll you'll get your room. Like, okay, and your room 1742. Oh, that's a great room. You're going to love it. They say that because they know they've been taught to say that because of the mental anxiety between the desk <laughs> and going up to the room. That if you say that, people feel, oh, okay, good. And it's the same freaking room as all the other rooms. <laughs> that there's mental and, and purchase anxiety that people feel that you are seeking to alleviate or counterbalance via happy feelings. So, what I notice a lot of businesses is they have one of the three and they rely heavily on one of the three and then the other two fail and they either fail as a business or they stay in mediocrity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the thing to fight off. If you have just the best X widget ever, but your website sucks, it's it's hard to do. It's hard to facilitate it. If you have amazing service, but your product is wonky, obviously you got to fix it. Or if you have amazing people and an amazing product, but your place is just in the cuts of nowhere and has a really weird look to it, it doesn't match up, then you might 
you know, not be hitting your growth strategy. There's a there's a street in near Wall Street in New York that is just littered with cobblestone and bars, and it's gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, all the bars there are always filled. People are always tourists, and and you know, obviously Wall Street people are going down there. And they can suck if they want to because they have ambiance <laughs> of the wazoo. So why do they need to have great bartenders? They don't. And as a result, they'll never be better than mediocrity. No one's going to say, oh, whenever I'm in New York, I have to visit that bar. They just go there because they're there and those places are paying their bills and that's where they stop. But if they really wanted to be prolific, if they were to fix their service because their ambiance is on point and then have a unique product, then they would be something special. It sounds like uh, this is uh, Mike's three-legged stool to business success right here that we're talking about with the with the food, the service, and the ambiance. Uh, when you walk into, because obviously you probably have a different set of eyes when you're walking into a business or walking into a restaurant. When, when you walk into a, a, a restaurant now, um, do you kind of you kind of like weigh those different things, and and do you kind of have a feeling of whether or not that that business will be successful or it'll just be mediocre? Yeah, I, I mean, there's a, a lot that runs through my head. Uh, you know, right when I walk in, I can tell it's just a franchise. This is a chain chain being that it's one person that owns multiple franchise being that they purchase the rights to it. Uh, and, or even if it's a, or is it a single independent restaurant and then how the service are they, is the service, is it service or hospitality? Now the difference being services, uh, yes, Mr. Bausch, we have your seat. It's right over here. <laughs> and hospitality is like, Oh, and we have your seat. And, uh, we're looking forward to having you and we're so happy that you're here today. There's a mm. difference. And you see that at hotels too. So at that point we get, um, we move on to the rest of the meal and, and then how fast it comes out and, and whether or not they're upselling. And then some people, you just get a gem of a service person every now and again, or I can tell, okay, this person was coached effectively. Yeah. And I usually will buy uh, uh, something basic at the place or whatever they say i kind of like want to go for the ride if they give me an upsell i'll probably go for it not because i'm some dummy but i want to see okay let's see where their upsell takes us yeah and and go i get i go for the experience driven but after that i then you know see where it lands i tip well and then i basically go for what i call the poop list which if i'm out (laughs) with my wife is like okay what sucked and i do that so much that i now have my managers basically in a very kind way and a very elaborately non-confrontational way, get the poop out of the customer by going over and say, Hey folks, I just wanted to stop by and say, thank you for coming. My name is Tony. And uh, I just wanted to say that we really appreciate it. Hey, have you been here before? Again, not saying is the food great yet. Right. Yeah, yeah. Conversation. Uh, at, at first there are, the most table touches, quote unquote, table touches that if you're not in the restaurant industry is when the manager comes by and they yeah. might touch your table. Why are they doing that? To show on camera that they touch your table so that their boss, if they look through it or corporate who might be looking from three states away, does an evaluation, sees, well, the manager touched the table, which is actually what they're really saying is, hey, I'm basically obligated to come and touch your stupid <laughs> table. So if you could just nod your head and say everything's fine, even though I could have just served you dead pigeon, uh, and I will nod my head and say, thank you. We can go about our merry way of not knowing each other, basically being oblivious to each other. And you could say anything negative, post negatives on Yelp. And I could go to saying, well, you don't know the industry and I work hard and that's your <laughs> fault. And we can just go on our merry way. That's what a table touch is. So yeah. I call it a customer connect to get the poop. And yeah. in that, that adventure is actually creating rapport, finding out who they are as people, not working them, but really finding out, like, meet a friend. Hey, okay, well, I'm Tony. Oh, well, I'm Sarah. This is my husband, Joe. Great, Sarah and Joe. Uh, you like the Riverwalk? Anything new? Oh, I love what they did down there. I love this. So that cool. Anything that we could have done at all better today? Yeah. No, it was perfect. No, seriously, anything. Well, the soda was a little flat. Okay, cool. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Or if it's something like, you know, I, I really didn't like the salad. It seemed fine, but I didn't like it. Okay, great. Take off the salad. Get them a dessert. Now we know that we can, they get in the car like, that was perfect. We had one thing not awesome and he fixed it right away. I can't say anything negative about those guys. Five stars. That's my hope. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you brought up you because you're kind of in a unique situation with your product where you have these, a really easy mechanism for, for, for people to kind of review your service. So uh, thank you for talking a little bit about the, the, the those table touches because I, I always just don't know what to say to those people when they come by. I'm like, uh, yeah, it's great. But uh, unless I'm pressed, I'm, I'm usually not 
and they give them much more information. But maybe, and, but I'm not a vindictive Yelp person either. So, uh, but I do uh, free. But you're you're a normal. You and, and here, I, I I got it, Jeff. But that leads me to really my final thing that I would say is you are probably a normal customer. You're not going to be a vindictive person on Yelp. But imagine a restaurant that you went to last weekend. Mm -hmm. And you have friends, and it was a new restaurant. And other friends are like, "Hey, you want to go check out that restaurant?" And you're like, "Was it good?" And you're like, "Yeah, it was great." Uh, or you know, it was fine. And then there's, "Well, you want to go again this weekend?" Oh, uh, no, I'm I'm good. Yeah. Oh, and that is just as bad as if you said, "No, they served me dead pigeon," because in the same realm of both versions, you're not going back. Mm. So, if you're not impressive. By default, you're unimpressive. So you mm -hmm. you serve the drinks on time, or in whatever business you you got your widget out to them within two weeks, and you process the order perfectly fine, and everything that was asked of you, you did uh, basically reactively. If you didn't proactively do something impressive, that was like, wow, I haven't seen that done before. That was really unique, or that was cool. Then you yeah. create a mark in their brain, and by default fault you are unimpressive and that's a lot for people to, to swallow sometimes that oh crap i have an unimpressive business and unimpressive businesses die they essentially will live today but they will die and i equate that to this you don't need a parachute to skydive it is an absolute 100 fact that you do not need a parachute to skydive you do however need a parachute to skydive twice so you don't need a parachute or a great business to survive today. You do need one that's unique and impressive to live and last for over five years. <laughs> I love that. I love that analogy. Uh, yeah, it's the whole uh, that sudden impact with the ground usually is when when uh, when things usually go wrong. I want to give you a moment to to speak directly to the audience. I appreciate all you shared because there's so much great stuff here that I think transcends. The restaurant industry we're, we're talking about leadership we're talking about service we're talking about the quality of our product we're talking about all these different things but when we started this conversation uh one of the things that i told you i wanted to give you the opportunity to do is to kind of talk to that that 10 year younger version of yourself that that uh, that young business leader that you were when you were getting started uh in this industry uh and and starting your entrepreneurial journey going from a entrepreneur to an entrepreneur so knowing what you know now what would you say to yourself then i'd say you know I basically say it to the people I meet now is, and you know, the impressive thing, be impressive. Yeah. Otherwise you're unimpressive. But some other things I haven't said today would be go for no embrace. No, because if you're getting no's and you're, that you're trying and that's a big sales push is go for no, like go try a bajillion things. Don't be afraid. If you don't try anything, you'll get nothing. You can't win the lottery, take the lottery if you don't buy a ticket. Mm -hmm. So I tried I call it my first few years were basically pin the tail on the donkey blindly spinning around and okay, I'll try putting door hangers out. I'll try sending stuff in the mail. I'll try doing emails. And now you, you there's other things to do. Uh, don't assume just because someone's selling it, that it works, come up with your own stuff. Most of my, my best successes have been proprietary to me creating them. Mm. And in that piggybacks on, I sell me, I sell my my photos are on the wall. My family stuff is there. My story, again, going back to Joe Blow widget seller on your website. If you have stock photos on your website, then you're a stock person. You're garbage. Another thing that I see on the day. Mm -hmm. No one. People are so concerned with fitting in that they never think about standing out, and that mm -hmm. is the death of business. Is I can I already have. What is fitting in people again? Does my hair look right? Is it combed right? No one is looking at you. No one cares about you. The belief that people care about you is the thing that millennials have in droves. <laughs> no one gives half a crap about you and they won't until you give them a value proposition of something that affects their world, mm -hmm. especially people that have had. I mean, I think that there's like 15 photos of me before I was 10 years old. Every kid now had a website dedicated to their existence by the time they were six <laughs> and, and a MySpace or they were so far gone, they had a whole Facebook page. So the understanding that you are not special until you decide you want to be special is something that you have to create. And that's the essence of 
being a unique business that creates value proposition and creates worth. And then after all that's done, being responsible. Talent is insanely overrated, incredibly overrated this talent. I am not the smartest guy. I am not the most talented guy, but I do put in the hours and I do anything that works well, I do more of. Anything that works bad, I remember. And that's why I've been successful. I was the I was the uh, captain of my volleyball team. I was the captain of my wrestling team and I sucked at both sports <laughs> because I just cannot bear to not be in control, lead and take things to another level, but I'm still five, eight. And when it comes to wrestling, I, I hadn't been doing it all my life, but I still led both. And that's again, where a lot of things go. It's just, I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure it out. You could either come with me or get out of the way. And that's yeah. the people that are successful are the ones who look at things that way. Well, Mike, thank you for taking the time to share kind of your journey with my audience, especially, uh, I mean, some of this, some of those last things, I mean, uh, just knowing that talent's overrated and I love that phrase or that, that saying don't fit in, stand out. I think that's something that we need to hear and we need to remind ourselves, even, even in that older generation of business leaders, we get comfortable. We're just trying to maintain. And even with you, if you're like you said, if you're not being impressive, you're going to die. And so I think those are just challenges that we continually need to put in front of ourselves to innovate, to continue to push forward, uh, and to not be stagnant in the business that we have. Listeners, remember, choose to connect, seek development, and be inspired. We'll catch you on the next podcast. Young businessmen, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, check out our website at www.ybtok.com or email us at ybtoklahoma at gmail.com. If you live in the Tulsa area and would like to hear one of our great speakers live at our monthly luncheon, we meet on the second Monday of every month from 12 to 1 p.m. Like us on Facebook for details about locations and upcoming speakers. Lastly, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes and share us with your friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast, where we connect, develop, and inspire young businessmen to find and pursue their purpose.